Before I dive into the sermon this week, what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes and I just want to have a family chat before I, I preach to y'all. Is that okay? Can we just have a little family chat? Uh, here's the deal. Most churches, when you come in, uh, what they want to do is they want to give you 90 minutes of flaw-free excellence and where everything is perfect and the lighting is perfect and the worship is perfect and the preaching is perfect and everything is good. And that's okay. We want to do things with excellence. We're doing them for Jesus, right? So that's okay. But most churches don't always peel back behind the curtain and show you uh, everything that's not going well. And this morning, I'm going to actually reveal to you uh, a problem that we are having here at Saints Community Church in both of our locations. The good news is that Misery Loves Company, we're not alone in the problem. Uh, that every pastor in America that I'm talking to right now is having the same problem that, that we are having. But before I dive into the problem, let's take a second and celebrate some good news. Let's give, us, give a little report card of what's happened post-COVID, or actually we're not past COVID, but uh, let's talk about what's going on here at Saints Community. So right now, we are back about, we estimate about 60% of our pre-COVID attendance in our Metairie and Belchase location. Now, some of you say, "Is that that seems low. Like, where's the other 40% of people? Here's what I want to tell you. We are way higher than the national average is around the country. So, praise God for that, right? And, yeah, yeah. And here's a better number that I am really excited to share with you about a little under 50% of our attenders that come to church are in a small group. Come on, that is amazing. Yes. Not only that, but through your faithful tithe, which is just 10%, returning that 10% back to the Lord, and then you're giving over and above to kingdom builders. Kingdom builders is just over and above the tithe giving that goes to local projects and global projects and expansion projects right here. And because of that, we're doing okay financially. We're staying steady. We're not thriving, but we're surviving. And and I'm very excited that we haven't had to do uh, anything drastic yet. We haven't had to lay off any any of our staff. We haven't had to consider closing any doors or anything like, like that. And that's a, a blessing because there's a lot of churches right now that are having to weigh out those kinds of options. So praise God for that. The other thing that I want to tell you is we have had new guests, which by the way, if you're a new guest in the room, you are the most important people we have here this morning. We've had new guests almost every single week at both of our locations. And we've had people give their lives to Christ in both locations every week that we have come back since we've come back to physical attendance. Can we just thank God? Come on, one more time. Let's just thank God for everything he's doing at SCC. We're so excited. So let me reveal the bad news to you, okay? A lot of good news. Here's one, one piece of bad news. Our volunteer teams right now are operating at a minimum capacity. And here's what I mean by that. I mean that the same people are serving almost every single week on almost every single team with just a few exceptions. Now, here's 
where most pastors are tempted to do the following things. And I thought about it as well. I want to be honest. I thought about giving in to these temptations. So the first temptation would be to get up here and tell some sappy stories and to tell you there's a child in our kids' ministry that's not going to know God if you don't volunteer for kids' ministry. And, you know, or to tell you there's ushers and greeters that are burnt out. They're serving every week. Or to tell you there's a, there's a team in our church that only has one person on it. And that's true, by the way. There's a team... It's serving in our church that only has one person on it. And so I, I'm tempted to get, get up, and really what that is, is that's a motivation of guilt, okay? I'm tempted to get up here and, and guilt you. Uh, or I'm, I'm tempted to do what's a more modern approach, and this is actually an approach that many consultants will tell pastors to do, and that is to sell you on the benefits of volunteering, and there are some benefits. I, I don't want to skip over that. There are some great benefits. In fact, I've never met a volunteer that volunteered and then walked away from that experience and went, well, that was just the biggest waste of time I've ever had. Okay, so there are benefits. There are pluses to you volunteering. But here's the deal. If I do that, if I take either one of those roads, what happens is I can get a bunch of you to sign up for the wrong motivations, and you may last for a couple weeks, or if you're a real strong personality, even a couple months, but eventually you'll fizzle out, and you won't be motivated to serve anymore. So what I would rather do is I would rather teach you theology. So you say, what, what are you, what, where are we going here, Pastor? What do you mean by teach me theology? First of all, a lot of you say, what's theology? That's a really churchy term. Theology. Well, theology in its simplest form is just the study of God. But what I uh, want to do is create a working definition. If you have your, note, your phone or whatever you like to take notes on, here's a, a good time to start uh, taking notes. I want to create a working term for a definition of theology. Theology is a belief system that is built upon intellectually and emotionally held commitments concerning God and man. I'm going to Give you one more chance to write it down, so I'll repeat it one more time. Theology is a belief system that is built upon intellectually and emotionally held commitments concerning God and man. Now, here's what I want to help you with. If you have good theology, you have good motivations, you have good core values, you have good behavior in your life, but just the opposite. If you have bad theology, you're going to have bad behaviors, you're going to have wrong motivations, and you're going to have an unfruitful life. Your theology, what you believe and what you build your base of belief on is going to determine your motivations, your values, your behaviors, all of that. In other words, let me simplify it for you. Good theology equals good behavior equals a fruitful life. Bad theology equals bad behavior equals an unfruitful life. So this morning, I want to take a few minutes and I want to build just a spectrum of your theology. And I want to do it just by letting you know a confession that I have. Do you know who it's really hard for me to not hate? That's, that's a little strong word. We're not supposed to hate. I'm sorry. Do you know it's really hard for me? Do you know who I can't stand? 
people that mistreat my children. And all the parents in the room are like, yeah, get them, pastor. And I'm not talking about anything big. I'm, I mean like little things, like the teacher that just doesn't get it and, you know, just doesn't know how to teach my creative child. And, and I, I'm talking about that kind of thing. If you're a teacher in the room, you're probably going, no, you're the parent that just doesn't get it, you know. But, or the, the coach that left their, their kid in during the game longer than my kid, who's obviously way better than their kid is, and, you know. Or their friends that mistreat them. Like, I'm telling you right now, I can get really mad at a 12-year-old quickly. Like, you know, the friends that backstab them or talk bad about them or mistreat them or try to harm them in any way. And don't even get me started with boyfriends. Oh, my word. So I, I'm just telling you, if people mistreat my children, I want to let you know that it's going to be really difficult to make peace with me. Even if, if you come talk to me and you try to make peace with me and you've mistreated my children, here's the deal. You can buy me gifts, you can give me money, you can sing me songs, you can even praise my holy name, and I am still going to have an issue with you because of the way you've treated my children. Hmm. Now, the opposite is true, too. If you want to love me, if you want to respect me, if you want to honor me, it, it's really the greatest way to honor me is not to make it about me. The greatest way to honor me is to do something for one of my, my kids, is to love my kids, to honor my kids, to do something for them. In fact, uh, this week, Pastor Justin and Heather Lyles uh, stopped over. It was Lincoln's birthday, my middle son's birthday, and uh, they stopped over unannounced. They just came over to our house, and uh, they, they said happy birthday to Lincoln, and they hugged him, and they, they brought him a little gift. And I'm just telling you right now, Pastor Justin and Heather Lyles are the most amazing staff members we have here at Saints Community Church. Why do I think that? Well, here's why. Yeah, you can clap for that. Here's why I think that. Because of what they did for my kids. So you say, Pastor, what does that have to do with my theology? Well, let's keep building our case here. And now let's move into uh, a little bit of history. Now, here's what you have to know. Here's what you, I need you to understand. Before Jesus came on the planet, there, the, the kind of religion, and this isn't just the Jews, it was the Assyrians, it was the Babylonians, it was literally everybody. The kind of religion that was prevalent on the planet was called the temple model. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the temple model. The temple model, if you look at the screen, is really based on three things. It's based on sacred places, places where you have to cover your head, you have to take off your shoes, you have to be quiet. It's, a, it's built on a sacred place. It was built on sacred text, so oracles or documents or parchments or uh, things that have to be transcribed and copied. It was built on sacred places, sacred text, and then it was built on sacred men, always men, by the way, kind of interesting. And the, the sacred men were the ones that would interpret the sacred text, and a lot of them lived in the sacred place. And, and so this was the temple model before Jesus arrived on the scene, this is really what all religions were based on. They were based on sacred places with sacred text and sacred men. And 
Here's the issue with, with that. The issue with that is that when Jesus came, he came to introduce something brand new to the mix. He wasn't trying to build off of this temple model. He was trying to build off something else that we're going to talk about in just a minute. But in, first cent- in the first century, I need you to understand that in the first century, Christianity was a disorganized group of, of followers of the way. They didn't even call themselves Christians. They, they were a disorganized group of people that were following the way. And really, all they had was this man, Jesus, his teachings. They didn't have any of the New Testament writing that we have now. And so they, and they literally, they did okay. I think they did okay. I think we're here because they did okay, you know. And, and so what happens is, That's in the first century, but in the fourth century, everything changes. And here's why. The Romans, in the fourth century, Rome decided that they were going to make Christianity the primary religion for Rome. And during that time in the world, as Rome goes, everybody else does too. So here's what happens. What happens is, at that point, Christianity becomes a blend of the Jesus model and the temple model. The two blend in together, which Jesus never really meant for that to happen. So what happens is the the temple model and the Jesus model come together, and we don't even realize that this happened, but we're still actually a part of, of this whole deal. And here's the issue with this. The issue is this hurt us, and it hurt our relationships, and it hurts our influence in America, and really all over the world. Now, let me give you a little quiz. It's only two questions, okay? Two questions. So, if you get wrong, one wrong, that means you fail. But anyway, uh, two, two questions, okay? The two questions about whether or not you have the temple model in you more than the Jesus model are these two questions. Number one, do you think more about coming to church or being the church? Just stop and think about this. Do you think more about coming to church or being the church? Are you preoccupied with coming into this building and and coming to church, okay? Or do you have a proper understanding that this is not church, you are the church, and that God has called you to go love and help and spread the hope of the gospel around the world. This is a building that we come into to celebrate what God is doing and to equip the saints to go out and be the church. So if you're more preoccupied with coming to church than being the church, temple model. Second question is this. Second question is, are you more emphatic about rituals than you are relationships? Are you more emphatic about rituals than you are relationships? In other words, are you more caught up in, in what happens even here on a Sunday morning with, you know, the rituals that we do? And we have rituals, and then rituals aren't bad, but if they're put above relationships, that's where we get in trouble, okay? So, you know, here's our ritual. We, we, we've got a pretty... You know, it's almost every week we've got rituals, okay? We sing a couple songs, we do communion, we do a third song, we do Apostles' Creed, offering, announcements, 
and I come up, I speak, there's some kind of a response in some way, we go home, those are our Sunday morning rituals. But I want to let you know that those will never, ever, ever, ever be placed above our relationships. Now, okay, don't, please, everybody scoot your toes in. I just want to help you with something because I don't want to step on your toes. If you are not currently in a small group, there's a good chance you're still caught up in the temple model. Because this Sunday morning is more ritual than it is relationship. Oh, pastor, I get to know people on Sunday morning. You do? With a mask on, being escorted in and escorted out? Man, teach me your tricks, oh Jedi. Let me just reassure you that the Jesus model looks way different than this. Let me, t- let me tell you what the Jesus model is based on. These three things. The Jesus model is based on a new covenant. That is a new way of God relating to man and man relating to God. It's based on a new command. And it's actually not a new command. It's actually a, an older command that now is the primary command. And it's the command which everything else should be filtered and should be evaluated by. And then those, thi- those things created a new movement. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my what? You got to understand when he said, I'll build my church, that it was literally a few guys and him. And they're looking at him going, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds cool, you know. And that movement created what we are, the fact that we are here today. So Jesus, the Jesus model was a new covenant. It was a covenant not based on rituals and rules. It was a covenant based on what he did for us, his birth, his life. His death, his resurrection, that, that was also led to a new command, a command which every other command should be filtered through. And then that led to a movement, a new movement, which is called the church. Now here's the main difference that I need you to understand and that I need you to hear this morning. And it's so subtle. It's a real fine line, but you've got to understand this. You've got to get this. Please, please listen this morning. The temple model is you-centered. It is you-centered. What do you mean by that? Well, the heart of the temple model is this question right here. And this is a good question initially in our Christian walk, but it's not a good question eventually. Here's the question. What must I do or believe to make things and keep things right between me and God? Let me repeat that. Here's the main thrust of the temple model. What must I do or believe to make things and keep things right between me and God? In other words, that version of Christianity is always struggling and always trying to make sure that God is fine with me. And really, what, the, the problem with that theology is that that theology is actually more about you than it is about God. That's the temple model. What must I do to make things right between me and God and keep things right between me and God? And how do I keep it that way? It's a good question initially when you come to Christ, but it's not a good question eventually. For some of you, this is revealed in how you pray. You pray, Lord, help me. Lord, bless me. Lord, bless my kids. 
Lord, if you'll just give me a good day, and, and God, I just, you know, I need you, and, and get, you know, help me, and bless me, and help me, and bless me, and did I mention, Lord, help me, and bless me, and give me, and, and my kids, and my, you know, and, my, and this is revealed in how you pray. For some of you, it's revealed in why, why you attend church. Some of you attend church because you're like, hey, God, look, I'm here. I did it. Check mark. I got more goods than bads. I know you're making your naughty and nice list up there. And so, listen, I'm here Sunday morning. Boom. I, I, I did it, Lord. So you're, that's your motivation. And the, the third one is, is it's motivated by what we say. By the way, if you ever wonder what people believe, what their theology is, they always give themselves away by what they say. I got to get back to church. I got I to gotta help myself. I got to get my life on track. I got to, I got to, it's I, I, I. God, can you help? I, can you help? Capital I, please, God. I got to get back. This is the temple model that's you-centered. And here's the issue with this. This model produces hypocrites faster than you can ever imagine. I'm talking about this model full of rituals and rules based on the good and the bad and the naughty and the nice. This model produces hypocrites so fast. And some of you maybe that aren't believers here in the room, you're not a Christ follower yet. You're not used to all this church stuff. You know this because you work with a Christian at work and they go to church every Sunday, but then you see the way that they treat their coworkers and you see the way that they treat people and you go, man, you go to church every Sunday, but you're really not a nice person. And so I'm not sure that this is working for you. I'm not sure I wanna be a part of this. That's temple model. If you want to look at the New Testament, who was still caught up in the temple model were the most religious people of that day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Jesus kept going, you're getting it all wrong. It's not, no, 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 you're getting it all wrong. I have a different way. I have a different model. It's different. Here's the challenge. The challenge is, eventually, you got to move past the what's in it for me and how do I make God happy with me because I want to give everyone in the room an incredible revelation. The moment that you said yes to Jesus Christ, that you said, I believe and I put my life, I put him at the center of my life. I say, I believe that he was born. I believe that he lived a perfect life. I believe that he died a cruel death. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe all of that. I put my faith, my trust, my hope. He's my leader, my Lord, my Savior, my boss, the center of all of my decisions. He's the center of my life. I have good news for you. At that moment, you are right with God, and God is fine with you. And unless you choose to walk away, you and God are okay. Isn't that a good feeling? Come on. So eventually, we all have to get past this, like, I got to keep God happy with me because God is happy with me if, he, if I have put my trust in the Savior, in, in Jesus, and we've got to get to the Jesus model, and here's what you got to understand about the Jesus model. The Jesus model is centered on others instead of who? You. It's centered on others 
instead of you. The Jesus model and the New Testament teachings actually invite us to abandon the temple model and to thrive in this new model that Jesus described in John 15, verse 12. Look at this. Here's what Jesus said in John 15, 12. This is my how many commandments? How many did Jesus say? It's in parentheses, so you know it's Jesus. This is my one commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Paul said the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now you go, wait a second, Paul. There's a lot in the Bible. There's a whole lot of stuff in the Bible to which Paul would say, yeah, I know. I wrote about half of it, you know, in the New Testament. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. If I can boil it down to one sentence, Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through what? Through love. He also goes on in Galatians 5, 14 to say, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this. How many commands? One command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's right, Paul summarized 630 laws that, that were summarized, and they were all summarized under this one thing, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, some of you go, well, what about the Ten Commandments? What about all the other stuff in the Bible? Here's what I want to tell you. Those are not dismissed. Those are there, but this is the filter by which those exist. Let me help you. The Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's one of the commands. Well, why, sh- why shouldn't I do that? Why shouldn't I lie? Well, because the Bible says so, Pastor. I mean, it's clear. It's right there. And if I want God to be happy with me, I can't lie. You know, like, I don't want to go to hell. I, I, I want to, you know. No, that, that's, that's true. It's true. But it's not the right motivation. Why don't we lie? We lie because we hurt someone else when we lie and therefore we are not loving our neighbor as ourselves. Do you understand the difference? It's a filter. And you can go through all the commandments. You can go through the whole Testament. You can go through the whole New Testament. In fact, Jesus said it like this. He said that all of the Bible, all the Old Testament, and all of the New Testament hangs on these two sentences. Love God, love your neighbor. All the Old Testament, all the Bible, Love God, love your neighbor. There's a lot in there, Pastor. I know, it's, it's a lot. It's 66 books. It's a lot. But guess what? It all boils down to love God. Love who? Your neighbor. Love God. Love your neighbor. So some of you are like, Pastor, this is kind of far-fetched. You know I mean? This is like a big Christian Woodstock, you know? Like, love fest. Let's just... Let's just love each other, man. Let's just love each other. This is a big love fest, you know. We're just going to love each other. We're just going to be a bunch of Christian hippies, you know. This seems like some kind of sloppy sentimentality that... We don't have to take the Bible, the text, seriously. That's why I need you to pay close attention to what I'm about to say. If you're taking notes, please write this down. 
here's what I, I, I have to help you understand. The Jesus model is less complicated. It's far more demanding. The Jesus model is less complicated. You want to talk about complicated, 630 laws that they had to follow to be okay with them and God. That's complicated. Hello? You probably broke 25 of them already today. So the Jesus model is far less complicated, but it's way more demanding. Here's how I know that. At the epicenter of the Christian faith, at the epicenter of the Christian faith is a man who died covered in his own blood and covered in other people's saliva. That's what love required. So it may be way less complicated. It's far less demanding. That's why the, the Christian faith is so incredible. That's why it's unbelievable. That's why we can do things like Philippians 2 verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let me give you a hint about the mindset of Christ Jesus. At the epicenter of our faith was a man who died for us, covered in his own blood and other people's saliva. Why did he do that? Because he was creating the model for us on how to love. Hello? Can you imagine if we lived our lives with this question? Write this down. Intuitively, in all of our relationships, in our workplaces, in our community, in this church, what if all of us lived our lives based on this question? What does love require of me? What does love require of me? Can you imagine if you live that way in your family? Can you imagine if we live that way in our community? Can you imagine if we live that way here in this church? What if the people that, that don't believe in God would, would be critical of our belief, but they would be astounded by the way we love each other? Wouldn't that be amazing? As Christy and the team come, I want to help you understand why we do this. We're getting back again to, oh, we got a problem. We, uh, we don't have enough volunteers. Now, some of you say, well, Pastor, this seems like a, about people, and isn't it about the, the glory of God? Isn't it all about God's glory? I'm so glad you asked that question. So let me respond with this text. Right here, because Jesus wanted to help us understand that question. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40. When the Son of Man comes in his, what's he going to come in? Oh, there's your word. It's about God's glory. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his, what? what? Yeah, there's, there's two for you. Glory, glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And the people are, are sitting there listening to Jesus and they go, well, well, what do we got to do? How do we get that inheritance? That's amazing. You, the, the Father is creating an inheritance for us. That's, how, what do we do? And he said, oh, oh, I'm glad you asked how to get that inheritance. Here's how. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat, to which they would have said, I, uh, do you remember him being hungry? Uh, no, I mean, I just, I'm just meeting him for the first time. This is the first time I've heard him. So I don't understand what he's saying. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. And then he said, I was a stranger, and you invited me in. To which they go, uh, uh, he's never been in my house. Has he been in your house? No, he's never been in my house either. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. Jesus was sick? Wait, I, how do you get sick? How does God get sick? <laughs> I was in prison. Oh. Jesus, you were in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about a time where you felt God or you felt like you saw God the most. For many of us, it would be an amazing church service that we were a part of. It would be, man, I felt God and I saw God move in a, in, in, that was, you, you remember, I was a part of, uh, I went down to Brownsville during the, the Pensacola revival, and man, I, I could look back and go, man, I really saw God during that time, I really saw God moving during that, that time. Or maybe for some of you, it's a camp somewhere where you're like, I, I remember that I saw God during that time. Maybe some of you have had a, a couple of you have had a chance to visit the Holy Land, and you go, I I, I saw God. I felt God in an entirely new way. All of those experiences are really more about us. Let me tell you when you saw God the most. When you saw a need in front of you and you met that need. When you saw somebody in need and you met that need, guess what? That was the greatest revelation and, and seeing of God that you've ever had in your life. Because he said, when you saw me, when you saw me hungry, when you saw me sick, when you saw me in prison, when you saw me in need of clothes. This is the time when we see God the most, when we see a need and we meet that need, baby. Come on. That's when we see God the most. And then he says, notice how he said, whatever you did, whatever you did, your devotion to God is illustrated 
demonstrated and authenticated by your love for other people. The way that you show God, I love you, I honor you, I adore you, I respect you. And he goes, that's great, that's great, I, I appreciate that. Thank you for that lip service, that's amazing. Now get busy doing stuff for my children. If you want to love me, if you want to honor me, if you want to respect me, do stuff for my kids. So here's, here's the theology. Here's what I want you to get. Nicole, Justin, come on up here for a second. Are any of your kids with you? Yeah, bring them too. Bring her too. Come here, Adelie. Don't worry, Nicole. You, you don't have to say anything. Do you want to know why the theology of volunteering needs to be prevalent in this church? Here's why. Because Justin Pinnock, Nicole Pinnock, and their daughter Adelie, and their other two, two kids, you know what they need from us? They need us to love them well. They need to feel our love. You know how they feel love? When they drive up and there's a parking spot. They feel love post-COVID when we can get back to coffee for Jesus and somebody pours them coffee. They feel love when somebody is there to check in their children to kids ministry. They feel love when you take care of their kids and you're teaching them in kids' ministry. They feel love when there's somebody there to greet them at the door. So why do we volunteer? Because we have created an avenue to love people. Here's the good news. You don't have to just give lip service to loving people. You don't have to just think, I love them. I love Justin and Heather. I love that family. I love their kids. You don't even have to just tell them you love them. We've actually given you an ability to go beyond the lip service of it and to actually create a path for you to love them well. Isn't that amazing? Why do we volunteer? Because we want to love them well. Now, here's the irony of this family. I don't know anybody that has served harder, longer than this family right here. So you know what this family needs from us? They need us to say, hey, you've been loving us really well. We're going to love you well too. We're going to serve you well too. We're going to get on that connections team. We're going we're to serve you well. We're going to love you well. So what is the theology? The theology is we have to love our brothers and sisters in Christ we have to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to see a need and meet that need, and we have to love people well. Why do I want you to volunteer? Because you got to love people well. Guess who else we're going to love well? We're going to love this person well. You say, Pastor, I'm not sure uh, if you've got some leftover drugs from your brain surgery, but there's nobody sitting in that chair. You know what this represents? The person who hasn't come yet. The person from Saints Community Church that, that will be a part of Saints Community Church 
that hasn't darkened our doors yet. The person that, that Brother James prayed for this morning that would come into our church. The person who's far from God and wonders if God even loves them and wonders if they're going to go to church and be judged and be treated badly. Guess what that person needs? That person, this person, they need us to love them well. Why do I do what I do at my very best? Because I want to make sure I love you well and I love them well. Every single week, we have a chance to love people well. Thank you, Penix. Did I mention that if you mistreat one of my kids, all the singing, all the gifts, all the generosity probably won't help build your case. Did I mention that the greatest way to honor me is not to honor me, but to do something for my kids? If you do something for my kids, you do it for me. What does love require of me? To honor God, I will love you. And to honor God, you will love me. And we, we will do it not just with lip service, we will do it with our actions. That is the theology that we have to have about building better volunteer teams. And how many of you can get on board with, I'm going to love people well, a lot easier than a guilt trip? Hello? Yeah. Yeah. Here's what I want to do. I want you to just close your eyes and bow your heads across this room. We're about to close. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Wayne, I haven't taken that first step of giving my life to Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you say, I, I remember I did take that step at one time, but I'm, I've, I've walked away at this point. I'm, I've, I've left that relationship and I'm, I need to come back into that relationship with Jesus. The good news is Jesus never left you. You may hard, try hard to run from him but he's here for you. If that's you today and you'd say, I need to make that step. I need to, the first step for you is to receive the love of God into your life, to give your life to him, and to surrender your life to him. That's the first step. Before you can do anything for anybody, make yourself, you and Jesus, right today. If that's you, I want you to lift up your hands on the count of three. I want to make my life right with God, or I need to come back into relationship with God. One, two, three. Lift up your hands. That's me, Pastor Wayne. I need to make my life right with God, or I need to come back into relationship with God. Thank you. Let's, let's do this. Stay in your seats, but let's just pray together. Let's all of us pray with those that lifted their hands. Say, Jesus, I believe in your perfect life, your cruel death, and your resurrection from the dead. I place that into my life. Be the leader, the Lord, the boss over me. I want to surrender my life completely to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, how many of you are glad that God is still in the business of saving people every single day? Now, here's what we're going to do before we leave, okay? We're about to dismiss, but before we leave, we're going to do something very important. At this time, 
the ushers are going to begin to hand out sheets to all of you in the room, okay? Could somebody give me one of those as well? Thank you, Ash. I want to make sure everybody gets a sheet. I want to walk through these teams in our church. Okay. If you would rather do it electronically, you can scan the QR code, and the same thing is actually available for you electronically if you'd rather do that. Great idea, that QR code, wasn't it? Such a good idea. Here's our teams. I'm going to walk through these quickly. We have a hospitality team. Here's what they do. They help make guests feel welcome by serving as greeters, table host, welcome center host, and auditorium host. Our kids team, they help invest in the next generation by assisting, leading, and teaching in the Saints kids area with infants to fifth grade children. Our creative arts team, they film, edit video, they do website development and design. And by the way, there's only a few of them. If that's your thing, welcome to the team. Ushers, this team helps provide a life-giving worship experience by helping people find a receipt, find, or find, not a receipt, find a seat, receiving the offering, helping with communion elements and other key elements to the service. The security team ensures the safety of our children and adults by joining the security team. That's the team, by the way, that only has one person on it right now. Our parking team, they help give direction and welcome people in the parking lot. Our follow-up team, be a part of making our visitors at Saints Community Church feel welcomed and loved from writing cards, being a smiling face at our welcome, welcome center, or putting together gifts for our first-time visitors. Our facilities team, they help prepare the facility for services and events. And let me just stop right here. He's going to be so mad at me for doing this. But I want to tell you something. Right now, as far as I know, there's really one person on that facilities team that comes every single week to clean this church. He's going to be so mad at me. Cliff, Mouton, will you just raise your hand for me? So I just want you to know who that is. We honor you. God sees you. The youth team, they help invest in this next generation through leading small groups, helping with one nights and other events. The worship team, be a part of our worship experience by joining the worship team. If you are a vocalist or instrumentalist, you can help the worship team. Now, let me just tell you, we have a, we have a lot of vocalists right now. If you can sing, you should still sign up to be on that team. If you can sing, by the way, it's preferable that you can sing, okay? But you know, you know what we're in need of right now? We're in need of musicians, aren't we? we? We need musicians. We need instrumentalists that can play different instruments on the team. Live production. As part of live production, you can help run the different audio and video. <laughs> That's live production. <laughs> okay? They run the service on Sunday morning. Audio, tech, uh, slides, lights, all of that. That's live production. Photography, be a part of the team that captures special moments, events, and telling the story of our church by using your camera on our social media pages. And last, the events team. 
be a part of creating, organizing, decorating, and implementing events at Saints Community Church. Now, here's what I want you to do. Look this way. If you are, watch my wording, please listen. If you are currently serving, not you have served, not you were serving pre-COVID, if you are currently serving on a team, here's the way to know if you're on a team. If you can name the team you're on, you're on a team. Isn't that good wisdom for you? If you are currently serving on a team, we don't want you to fill this out. Because here's the problem. The problem is you'll be the first to fill it out because that's how it works, right? 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, and you go, oh, I gotta love people better. I'm only volunteering three, three times a month. I'll do four, I'll do four. That's not what we want. That's not what we want. If you are currently serving on a team, don't worry about this. If you are not, emphasize, currently serving on a team, I want you to choose, I want you to put your name, email, phone number, and then I want you to circle your first choice and your second choice. First choice, second choice. Now listen closely, because some of you go, oh my word, it, uh, I'm going to be volunteering four times a month. Nope. Nope. That's what we're actually trying to get away from. That's what some, most of our volunteers are doing right now. We want to get away from that. We want you serving one to two times a month. Loving people well, one to two times a month. And all the current volunteers said, yeah, I thought you'd be excited. So go ahead. If you are not currently serving on a team that you can name, fill that out for us. And I want you to circle one, circle two, and then you can leave that at the bucket on the table. Leave these sheets on your way out when the ushers dismiss you. Let's give them 60 seconds before we dismiss.